right. Nakia joining me today. Thank you so much for joining me, my friend. How are you doing? I'm uh, doing okay today. How are you? I'm doing okay, doing okay, hanging in there. Um, I've been starting these with just kind of, there's a lot I want to talk to you about today because you're a, a fascinating guy kind of right in the middle of the, of the boiling pot here. So the way I've been starting these is just kind of getting a feel for where you were personally, kind of mid-March, what you had planned mm -hmm. in the coming months with your normal schedule, your, your, uh, your music career, and how it all kind of stopped for you and what you've been doing since then. And I know you've been doing a lot and we'll get into it, but you can kind of just give us the, give us the preface of what you've been up to. Sure. Well, um, in the beginning of March, I was in New York city. I was taking an acting class with, um, award-winning actress, uh, Betty Buckley. Um, it was a private class, uh, with, uh, just a few students, um, and an acting studio in, in New York. And, um, we were studying acting and, um, scenes and meditation. And that was about a week long. And it was, uh, taking place, you know, right as the, uh, the rest of the world um, uh, across the ocean were already dealing with coronavirus and it had just begun to, um, you know, come into the U.S. Uh, through Seattle and other places. And I was in New York City when um, Mayor Adler um, made the decision to cancel South by Southwest, uh, rightfully so. I think he probably saved a lot of lives. And... Um, was, you know, uh, I actually got sick with what my doctors believe was COVID while I was in New York. I, uh, two of my friends that work at a bar that I uh, frequented twice while I was in New York, um, both came down with COVID as well as other patrons who were there that same weekend. Um, it happened very quickly for me. It came on very quick and, 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 uh, and passed fairly quickly, but I was still sick when I flew home. So I came home and quarantined, um, tried to get tested everywhere, but my symptoms had already subsided. And at the time they weren't testing anybody who was asymptomatic. And so all of my doctors had me, you know, quarantining uh, for a few weeks. Um, and by the time I could get tested, there was no trace, obviously. Um, in the middle of all that, you know, like before the pandemic hit, you know, my plan at the time was to focus most of this year on re-engaging with uh, my acting career, uh, doing training, and prepping myself to begin to do some auditions for Broadway shows in uh, New York mm. and uh, in 2021. And I've uh, also been working on a musical episode of a, a web series that I score and do the sound design for and act in called Skeleton Crew, and, um, you know, that had reignited my love of acting. I'd also started acting in another show called Demon Doctor that I also score and do sound design for, and, um, you know, the, those, those things had really kind of, like I said, reignited that passion for acting, and I was really excited about it. I was really excited about scoring and you know composing music for for film and tv and, and so i was kind of prepping myself to do all these things and to kind of throw myself in the middle of it um as i do and um pandemic hit 
Um, as you know, I'm the president of Austin, Texas Musicians, a 501 uh, for non uh, 501c4 nonprofit focused on advocacy. Uh, let me just shut that uh, Facebook um, tab off so it'll stop going off. And um, a huge amount of my time from the time that I got home and started quarantining, really even before I left New York, I was on conference calls with council members and the mayor and you know, all of these things, and I came home, and it was just boom, 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 you know, meeting after meeting after meeting, um, dealing with resolutions from council, dealing with this, you know, trying to make sure that, um, you know, the Live Music Fund, which Austin, Texas musicians helped to bring to light and creation over the last, you know, year uh, or so, um, was, was intact. And um, and that musicians were getting some type of relief uh, and recovery uh, grants, and um, you know, making sure that or trying to make sure that the barriers to get those were very low. Um, and so, part of my work in that was um, as a former uh, board member of the Texas chapter of the Recording Academy and a, and a previous recipient of music care services. Um, I connected the city of Austin with Music Cares to be the um, the, uh, the, per the the organization that would disperse the money, and uh, I did that because I knew how great Music Cares um, service was and how easy it is to access it. Um, and unfortunately, in the process, the city threw a lot more. Um, uh, for lack of a better word, bureaucracy in the process uh, it, it, that uh, made it hard for musicians uh, to not only apply, but in some cases, you know, kind of scared musicians off. Uh, things like asking for for bank accounts without mm -hmm. making it clear that you didn't have to provide your your bank account number. They just wanted to see how much was in the bank, which is completely unheard of when applying for relief grants. Um, and uh, you know the the, the big thing was if you had received Music Cares grant already, which many of us had um, back in March and April, by the time this money came around in June or July, they were saying, well, if you'd already received a grant from Music Cares, which had nothing to do with the city of Austin, you couldn't get one of these grants. And um, I don't know about you, but $1,000 um, for my personal expenses doesn't last very long. So, um, you know, we fought back and fought back on that. Um, it got a little ugly, but we, we were able to get them to change and lower the barriers midway through the process. They, they announced they were only able to give out about half of the $1.5 million. And so then they reopened it with without those things that we, that myself, uh, Austin, Texas musicians, Ham, Sims, so many organizations wrote to them and said, please don't make these um, barriers so or this grant so hard to get, you know? Um, so they did that and that was great. Um, they're now in the process of taking uh, applications for the Austin Creative Workers uh, grant. Um, there is a, a new, um, uh, resolution being passed around by, by Mayor Adler uh, and other council members um, to create a dedicated mu music venue preservation relief fund out of federal money. Um, sure would be nice if the city could figure out where to get that um, outside of federal money so it can exist long term. Uh, of course, during the, this whole process, I've also been a part of the Live Music Fund Working Group, which was put on hold um, while the Music Commission uh, tried to take up 
um, systemic racism and making sure that the process was equitable um, for, for everybody across the board. Uh, and, um, and I've done some recording during the, the, uh, the pandemic, some socially distanced recording. <laughs> um, uh, with Matt Parmenter over at Ice Cream Factory Studios, where I've been working on the musical episode of Skeleton Crew, as well as I uh, recorded a single there um, that I co-wrote with Savannah Welch's eight-year-old son, Charlie Cotton, called It's Never Too Late. And um, so, uh, and I, I shot my portion of a music video there, I did a social distance music video there. Um, but you know, b before the pandemic, like I said, that the two things that I was mostly focused on were acting and composing. I had also put together this brand new band and was planning. I had booked out all of our Austin dates. We weren't going to play outside of Austin unless there was good private gig money somewhere, but uh, we were just going to play in Austin um, and focus getting our, our shit together basically. And then we were going to record an album. And, uh, and, you know, I've got the songs, I was writing more songs, and we got together, we rehearsed, we played our first show uh, uh, for my, my annual birthday show at Saxon Pub in February, and that was my last gig before all this happened. So um, it was tough, you know, because the calendar would remind me, you know, oh, you've got a gig coming up at the Saxon Pub, or, or worse, you know, uh, you have a gig coming up at Threadgills, and they're completely closed you know, um, not going to be it. So um, that's kind of where I've been, where I was heading. Uh, and, and here we are now. It's, it's September. So it's safe to say you've been busy. Uh, so there's yeah. a few, few things in there. I, I do want to delve back and get to know kind of your roots a little bit. But before we do that, I just want to address some of the things you said before I forget, forget them later on. Um, so you were simultaneously putting a band together, but you were also in New York. Does that mean you were, this, this was a, I mean, if you're looking to get going on Broadway, I imagine that's a pretty, pretty big commitment. So were you flying back every couple of weeks or weekend, weekdays kind of thing? Or was this just a... Well, the plan would have been for me to fly backward and forward. Yeah, I would have, you know, it's not, it's not super expensive if you book it out, you know, um, to, cause it's a direct flight. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and I usually sleep on the plane, so I just come backward and forward. But, um, you know, I, for the last two years, I've spent a, a fair amount of time in New York um, already. And, uh, you know, I, I have friends there that I can crash with and split time with. So um, the plan was, you know, to be up in New York as much as I could and be in Austin as much as I could and, and, and try to do both. Very cool. Very cool. So, Let's, I'd like to learn a little bit about you. I, I did some research and wasn't able actually to find a lot about your, uh, your early years. I know you were on The Voice and I want to talk a little bit about that, but where are you from originally? And, and also, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your early years in music, how you got started singing, and, uh, and also some of your, your big influences as you were growing up? Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's start from the beginning. So uh, I grew up in Alabama in a little town uh, called Collinsville, Alabama, um, where I immediately, you know, was enamored by, you know, uh, Kiss and Paul Stanley and knew that I wanted to be some kind of singer, performer, um, and would, you know, try to get people to stop in front of my house and roll down their windows and sing songs to them. My dad built me a, 
uh, you know, everybody's, you know, uh, kind of dream tree house or clubhouse in the backyard or whatever. Um, it had a trap door and everything, but he also made sure to put a stage on top so I could climb on top and, and, you know, do my shows. Um, and so I, I always, you know, had been singing as long as I can remember really. And, and always knew that I wanted to be involved in some kind of, uh, performance in some way there was a, a few times that i veered off for a while i thought i wanted to be an egyptologist and, and go to egypt and study archaeology and and there was a little bit that i really wanted to be a special effects artist um and you know visited some studios and and met with some vx people and vfx people um but it always ended up coming back to music and acting and performing and so um you know, by the time that I was um, old enough to go to college, uh, I ended up going to school on a, a theater scholarship in Alabama and, and then actually was accepted into a prestigious school in New York for acting that I wasn't able to afford on my own or my parents, but even with the grant and the impartial scholarship that, that I was offered. So uh, I didn't get to go. And... Um, and I stayed back in Alabama and, uh, you know, eventually I, I moved to Atlanta. I, moved, I worked for some record labels and I worked for producer uh, Brennan O'Brien for a while. Moved home um, in the early 2000s or late 90s or, and then in the early 2000s, I, I moved to Chicago to work for a record label after uh, being a street rep for that label working uh, with a then unknown John Mayer and Train and Fly for Fighting and these other folks. Um, and so uh, moved to Chicago in, in 2001. And then uh, in the spring of 2002, I came here to Austin for my first South by Southwest with uh, a friend. And we, um, I met my husband the first day I was here. And wow, first yeah, day, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that was um, the beginning of my journey as an Austinite. You know, he took some time to show me around a little bit outside of South by Southwest, and I really fell in love with the city, and and um, of course fell in love with him. And uh, I moved here in August of 2002, uh, so 18 years ago, wow. um, this past month. And um, in fact, Labor Day of 2002 is when I went back. To Chicago to get all of my stuff that was in storage at my boss's office and, and came back um, with all that but uh, you know um, that that was kind of what happened I got here I um, immediately started playing solo um, doing solo piano shows around town at open mics and any place that would have me um, and then uh, in 2004, I joined a band called The Small Stars. It was led by Miles Zuniga of Fastball and um, some amazing musicians like Matt Hubbard and um, Landis Armstrong and Jeff Johnstone and, and uh, um, uh, John Bush. And that was a really, really wild, crazy um, uh, kind of... Um, uh, everything was themed, you know, we all had characters. There was a, there, it, it was actually, uh, we put it on as a, as a musical a couple of times, even uh, with scripts and everything. So uh, it was really, really nuts. Um, towards the end of that, I, I was again, you know, always writing, right? And so 
Um, I left that band and Matt Hubbard and Matt McNabb uh, basically co-produced my first EP. It was uh, a big chunk of it was recorded out at Luck at Willie's Saloon, actually, um, uh, with a computer that I sold Willie via Matt Hubbard. (laughs) And uh, I, uh, I, you know, put together a band and had all these great, amazing Austin musicians in it and that was called Nikki and the Southern Cousins and we were a band and did really well and played Austin State of the Limits uh, Festival in 2008 and we're you know really picking up uh, steam and then in 2009 after my dad died I was going through a bit of a depression and I broke up the band when one of our band members was moving away I just kind of took that as a sign to put things uh, off and, and or stop or whatever um, and then I joined Alejandro Escovedo's band as a backing vocalist, uh, did a whole bunch of shows with him, recorded the record with him and, and Tony Visconti and, and Carla Menzur, who was also doing backing vocals with me, um, with Tony at the helm, of course. Um, and when I, when that gig was up, uh, I decided to form the Blues Grifters, which is, a, a you know, it was really Tony Visconti's suggestion. I was like, man, I'm just so bummed out. You know, I really wanted to, you know, keep doing what I was doing, uh, but he was like, you know, just, why don't you start a band, kind of, you know, get into, you know, the roots of the blues, and so I, I, I sat down with Mac McNabb, and we started going through all these old blues and soul singles, and put together a bunch that were mostly uh, not as known uh, tunes, and a, and a handful that, that were very well known, obviously you can't just play, you know, rare tunes, and uh, so, we uh, did that, started a residency, immediately got picked up for Blues on the Green and all these other things uh, were happening. And then um, in the winter of 2010 in December, I think I got a, an email from a casting director in, asking me to be a part of The Voice. And um, never heard of The Voice, it was new. I was on season one um, and I thought it was a joke. Uh, and my friend uh, convinced me to check it out. And so I did, and uh, I went on the show, and, and uh, as you know, I was um, chosen by CeeLo and Blake, but I, but I chose um, CeeLo and went on to be uh, one of their first top eight uh, performers as, as well as a semifinalist on the show. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, it is what it is, you know, it was great. I had a great time, it was a lot of fun, but you know, it, it ends, you, we, we were fortunate we got a tour. So, but I spent most all of 2011 in Los Angeles in some form or fashion, <laughs> um, whether it was in a hotel or, you know, with friends while I was riding after the show was over. Um, and uh, then I came home and instead of, you know, kind of putting the same band back together, I just uh, began to, to rearrange the band a little bit and um, started integrating more of my original tunes into the existing, what was at the time, the Blues Grifter set. And um, then I went and made an EP of those songs in 2012 in Los Angeles with a bunch of different producers and uh, writers. And um, that was called Drowning the Crimson Tide. And then I came home uh, from that. You know, we toured that record 
um, the Dream Big Tour, uh, and that was in 2013. Um, I was in talks with um, the president of Rounder Records to uh, get signed to Rounder, and um, Rounder got acquired by uh, Universal Music's, uh, I think at the time they were calling it Concord Music, um, and so every project that they were working on was all, you know, put aside and they kind of started from scratch. And uh, so that happened. Um, and uh, 2014, you know, around this time is when I joined the, the Texas chapter of the Recording Academy and got really involved there. And then they asked me to be a board member. I got really involved with advocacy. I started going to Washington, D.C. and to the state capitol to meet with congressmen and, and, and women to, to talk about um, things that were important to artists. Uh, I became a member of the Austin Music Commission, where I eventually became the chair of the Austin Music Commission. Uh, and again, then another one of my parents died, and I got super depressed at the same time that I had a really bad vocal polyp, and I had to have my uh, 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 that removed. And so I was on vocal rest for months. And uh, the end of 2014, I believe is this is. I think I'm. I think I'm good with my dates here. The end of 2014 was my first year as a Black Fret grant recipient. Um, so the 2015 year, I was a. You know, I think what they call it their 2015 season. I don't know. So I received a minor grant from Black Fret that year, um, and then the following year I received a major grant from Black Fret, and um, you know. Uh, Somewhere along the way, Randy Miller, who was working with uh, Ollie TX, um, uh, putting together the, the album and the concert every year, um, he called me up and asked me to do, uh, the, the, they were going to do a tribute to the blues. <laughs> Um, and, and it started out that way, but it ended up having like the Eagles on it and other, you know, not, not our Eagles songs, not the actual Eagles, uh, which were not blues at all, but it, it still sounded great. Um, so we, I got the blues scriptures back together and we did a cover of Whipping Post, which KTX really loved and started playing a bunch and other police started playing a bunch. And that really convinced me to, to really finish the record that the blues scripture started and so that we started that up again in 2016 and we finished it in the, the beginning of 2018 um and uh you know fast forward to the august of 2018 two years ago this past month we released uh blues grifter as an album um and it was really well received um great reviews uh great digital sales i it's crazy it's a record of all covers of all these great blues artists and, and songs that i love um and it, it has it really has easily outsold anything that i put out of my originals uh prior to that and when i say outsold it's, it is it literally is a difference there i've sold more physical copies of my own stuff i've streamed more of my own stuff but uh for whatever reason this blues record people on amazon and itunes physically buy the tracks or the album digitally you know what i mean like mm -hmm. uh instead of streaming it hmm. so it, it's fine because i get more money that way obviously but and and the the original songwriters get paid because i you know i'm licensing these songs to be on there so that's good for, for everybody involved but it was really surprising to me 
Um, and it still does really well. Um, and you know, I get a little bit of money from that every quarter. So that's great. I have boxes of this sitting here though, because you know, we, uh, we toured a lot in 2018 and the beginning of, um, 2019, but it, you know, uh, my priorities began to shift in 2019 when I began to start creating what is now known as Austin, Texas musicians, uh, nonprofit. So, um, everything kind of took a, a another pause and I was focusing on that and that's when I was beginning to focus on acting and, and scoring. Um, and, um, uh, here we are, 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Well, that's a full recap for sure. Um, just going back to a couple of those items, I'm interested to know because you do, uh, you know, the blues and uh, the soul is definitely a, a strong part of your vocal presentation and uh, your calling card. Who are your favorite singers and who are the singers that you really wanted to sure. sing like as you were coming up and as, a, as an adult as well? Uh, as a kid, you know, I definitely um, did a lot of emulation of, of singers like Simon LeBond and Steve Perry. Um, probably some some Paul Stanley, but uh, you know, then I I moved into more uh, what I would say like my hair metal phase. So I was you know um, uh, and 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 kind of hard rock as well. Um, and, and, and Southern rock, it was a big thing where I grew up. So, um, you know, a lot of Skinnerd, um, a lot of bad company. Like I can remember the first audition that I went to for a band. I was still in high school, I think. And, uh, maybe I was a, a freshman in college. I can't, can't quite put my feet on that. But, um, the two songs they had me sing were Fortunate Son by CCR and, uh, and um uh hang on it's gonna come to me well i take whatever i want uh what is that uh come on come on come on dude. Uh, i know it i can't think uh, of the name of it i can't get enough of your love oh, yeah, yeah. so um that's what it was yeah so uh i did that um I don't think they hired me. <laughs> I don't remember joining that band, but I think it was actually might have been a little bit of both. I wasn't really comfortable with some some of the guys in the band. Maybe uh, you know this is um, years ago in Alabama. I'm probably at this point. I don't know if I was in the closet when I auditioned for them or not, but I certainly wasn't very out and open. As I mean, I, I came out in high school, so but not like the way it is now <laughs> so uh it was a very different time uh so i would say those were some of my main influences growing up i, I would think for me as a soul singer and, and what i evolved into you know especially by the time that i got to austin was more um you know elton john and george michael who were influenced by other people that influenced me you know like james brown and um otis redding uh and um uh, Howling Wolf, um, but you know, all of the greats, man. Sam Cooke, uh, Patti LaBelle, Anita Baker. I love singing. Like, I'll go to karaoke and sing Anita Baker songs. She's got that raspy, kind of lower register voice, and there's just so many great tunes and so many great singers. So, um, that that's kind of some of my, my influences, I, I guess. 
Very cool. So I know you have, uh, as they say in the business, uh, kind of a hard out and you gave us such a, a good recap of the, the music and, and your history and, and your resume. Um, I do want to get into all the stuff that you're really in the middle of uh, yeah. as we speak and, and not to, I'd love to talk about this stuff in expanse, but because you have, uh, we have to wrap this up in about 15, 20 minutes. I'd love it if, you know, we could, you just try to keep the answers a little on the concise. I want you to flesh them out, but a little on the concise side, just so we sure. can get through as many of them as we can, because you have such a unique perspective on all of it and you're on the front lines of everything. Um, so uh, let's start with what are your biggest frustrations uh, with everyone's frustrated with coronavirus. It's, it sucks in so many different ways, but what are your biggest frustrations with the way the community and the people uh, in the bureaucracy or the government or the city of Austin. And, you know, obviously Austin is a huge, we can almost make it a microcosm of, of what the industry is in, in a lot of ways, especially in the live performance uh, sector. But what's been your biggest frustration so far with dealing with trying to get help and all the work you've done. And thank you, by the way, I'll probably say thank you again, but thank you for all the work you are doing. Uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's greatly appreciated. But what are some of your biggest frustrations that you've had? Well, I think we live in this age that is um, riddled with misinformation and um, secondhand uh, information. Um, and for lack of a better word, um, we're so, as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a human race, we're so um, used to being able to, to get what we want immediately. Uh, we don't have a lot of patience. And so uh, it's been really frustrating for me to see people, you know, make assumptions, posting things online that aren't true, um, you know, that sort of thing, but also not taking the time to just read what it is that we're sharing you know, there's there's no telling how many times that something that myself or Pat has posted to the Facebook group and trying to get, you know, people the right information and they'll ask questions that are easily answered had they actually clicked the article. <laughs> so that's pretty frustrating. Um, but yeah, I've come to expect that part, you know, that I'm always gonna have to kind of hand feed a handful of folks, I guess. Yeah. Um, the other frustrating part, I think, is is the the idea that um, that music venues or some and music venue owners are somehow, you know, the rich people in this, or that they that they don't deserve help. Um, I've been seeing that a lot lately. A lot of the sentiment that, well, venues have never taken care of artists, et cetera. And I agree, there are definitely venues that I've played in my career where the 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 folks involved in the booking or the talent buying, et cetera, or maybe even some of the staff of the actual venue were not very artist friendly. But I think that that is the minority uh, in those uh, situations. And I think that most of Austin's music venue owners are not only probably failed musicians, <laughs> um, but they at least love music, but they, um, they really care about musicians and they do what they do, not because they're making a, a buttload of money. Um, they're doing it because it's what they love and they're trying to help other people. Um, and so that's been frustrating lately to see that. And of course the, the bureaucracy of all of the, 
you know, this resolution is this, and this became an ordinance, and well, it didn't say this exactly explicitly, so this is where we're at now. Um, learning how to, as, as I like to say, you have to learn how to speak City Hall, mm. and so much of that is, it's almost like you have to learn how to talk in a circle, because they they have they have people who are bringing them these ideas and writing these resolutions for them. I've helped write resolutions for city council members. And then they take it and put all of their stuff in it. They're like the stakeholders say, this is what we need. And then they go, no, but we'll have this. Well, we got to take away that, you know, and then it's, then it goes to staff. If it does get, um, you know, passed by the council, it goes to staff and then staff has their own interpretations. If it's not explicitly laid out in the resolution, and so we we found, you know, especially um, working in this pandemic, that while the music, uh, you know, department of the city is working overtime and trying to make sure everything is great, and they were able to get out things in a record time for for city work, that you know, in the process, some of the corners they cut, and 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 because of their existing processes that are there, you know, excluded stakeholders and and caused some hiccups but we're we're working through it so yeah i can only imagine the whole bureaucracy and and dealing with all that Uh, it's it's reputation precedes it and i i can't imagine what it's like to be in the muck with you so uh i've never done this before i've done about a dozen of these now and i've never done this but i want to try it just because there like i said there's a lot i want to i want to quick fire at you and i do want to get you out for your for your oh don't worry about it so so let's try like just because i got a bunch of questions try like a a one minute response to these following okay. questions. Okay. Right. Um, so you told us some of the frustrations. I'm sure you could go on about that, but uh, in, in a minute or so, what's been some of the positives you've seen in this, in oh. this very unusual, unprecedented kind of dark period? Uh, seeing musicians come together to work on the musicians advisory panel that we put together um, to tackle big projects, um, like trying to reach out into the communities of color, and, 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 and really making sure that Austin's musicians, the, that's a very diverse group of folks, um, are all represented in the work that we do. Um, seeing uh, music venues and, and, and advocates for venues and other things come together and, and really working together and nonprofits, music nonprofits working together to solve solutions has really, really been a bright spot um, in that process for sure. And also, the occasional note that we might get uh, either personally or sent to Austin, Texas musicians where, you know, it's somebody, they just got their grant money or, you know, they, they got a job through a job fair that we hosted or something and letting us know that the work that we're doing is actually having a, a positive impact on people's lives. Beautiful. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned the hand feeding thing because I, about five minutes before I got on with you, I saw just a, a post about it was something that and i'm probably going to read it as soon as i get off with you but i'm wondering if you've heard anything about it or maybe even read the same article but it had something to do with the way austin is handling its venue situation versus the way nashville is hand, handling it is there anything you can tell us about that obviously i'm sure <laughs> you're hand feeding us but if you can touch on what's going on the difference between say a nashville and the way austin things are going that would be very uh, beneficial well, um, Nashville, although they technically have fewer music venues than we do, um, and, and actually smaller sizes even, I think, um, you know, when, when faced with this, 
and and they they don't have what we have here, um, like the, the music venue alliance and all these other things, working overtime behind the scenes uh, for the for these things. But when they finally addressed it the first time, they immediately dedicated two million dollars to just music venues, just to carve out for music venues, and that's that's the exact opposite of what has happened in the city of Austin, despite people like Jimmy Flanagan calling for dedicated music venue preservation from, from the get go. Um, it's still not happened. And every time we went to the city and by we, I mean the uh, music makes Austin, which is ATXM, um, uh, music venue lines, Red River Cultural District, EQ Austin and um, C3 South by Southwest uh, and, and a handful of others. Every time we've went to the city and said, "We this is what we need, here are the numbers. Every, even with the hobby school came out with a, a study that said 90% of music venues were under, uh, you know, basically the, the death watch uh, between now and Halloween. Um, then, uh, you know, the money that they dispersed in the, the last uh, grant that they just have been doing was like, you could buy a condo in Austin downtown for the money that, that that's that's it you know and it's it's and 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 you know they try to say that it's because they don't have the money or whatever but we know that, that there there are ways for them to get creative about this and now what we're seeing with the new uh, ordinance or resolution 62 that, that will be taken up on the 17th um, they are trying to get creative but again it's with mostly federal money so we'll see what happens but i i think i just saw something about is youtube uh getting trying to get some major thing going is that is so the the national independent venue alliance or neva has uh which is uh co-led by steven sternshine from herd entertainment who co-owns the empire and parish um have partnered with youtube to create some it was kind of vague uh programming to help with this. And I read that and I thought that sounded great, but I'll be honest with you. Um, YouTube uh, slash Google is, is easily one of the biggest pirates that we allow to do what they do because it's convenient for us. Uh, they are notorious for not paying artists fairly. And um, my first questions about that were, you know, again, where are the artists in all of this? And number two, um, you know, they have all these millions and millions and millions of dollars. Why can't they just cut a check? You know, so um, we'll just cut, start cutting checks. We don't need more programming. We need money. You know. Well, um, so much I want to get into that, but I'm going to kind of. still got time. Um, the the situation with the venues is very difficult because I agree with you. They're 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 sh- it's, it's it's disheartening to, to hear that Nashville was able to whip that up and, and make things swift and, and impactful, at least on a temporary basis, because the truth is we don't know how long this is going to last. And part of my just playing devil's advocate on the, the venues, and I don't want to see any of the venues close and I, I don't want to see people lose jobs, obviously, but part of, part of my devil's advocate in me saw the venue situation as well, without any idea how long this is going to last, you know, it struck me as, as you, you've mentioned, the federal thing is not ideal. Um, and it, whether it's federal or state, you're just taking a lot of allocated taxpayer money, putting it into the landowner's pockets with an indefinite, you know, because we don't know 
if it's going to be two, six, 12 months before people start coming back. And so it could just in the end, like 18 months from now, just be a bunch of taxpayers putting that money in the landowner's thing. However, there should be some effort. <laughs> There's got to be some effort made at the outset. You know, you got to at least give it a fighting chance, I think. Um, and, and as somebody else pointed out, I believe it was Taylor. Uh, no, no, no. It was Corey from the Harvest Thieves. He pointed out how, you know, I think I was just presenting a, a, a situation where, you know, we kind of just let things settle for a while and live to fight another day. But he, he really pointed out, and I think I had thought of this before, and it really crystallized it, is, is it really in Austin, ground given up is ground given up for good for a music venue, you know, it really is because- It's highly unlikely that, that a music venue will go in the space. No, exactly, because the prices keep yeah. going up. It's just gonna be the, the power money coming in and taking the land. Andy Grove, Threadgills, those will be condos. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Period. We will be lucky if they have the willingness and the city does their part to encourage them to put music venues somewhere inside of these condos or these hotels. Yeah. But that's what's going to go there. Yeah. Period. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and just to wrap up, uh, Nakia, and I really appreciate you being here, and I appreciate everything you're yeah. doing for, for, the, for the community. Absolutely. And you can kind of extend this as long as you want, and then when you're done, I'm done with you, and you can go on to your next thing. But it's, where are you personally? Right today, as we sit today, six months into it, looking ahead with, with all the different perspective you had, where are you personally as an artist looking to, to spend your time and energy moving forward for the next six to 12 months? Um, and where do you see the community? Let's just talk about Austin for now, but if you want to bring in the music industry in general, that's cool too. Where do you see, as we stand today, where do you see that trajectory headed um, in the next six to 12 months? So you personally, and also the community at large. Uh, I think for me personally, what I'm working toward is um, kind of archiving, going through all of, of, of the things that I have for my, you know, 20 plus years as a performer, um, an artist, um, and, and figuring out ways to archive that, um, whether that's, you know, you know, scanning in old negatives or transferring old VHS and, and, and high eight tapes of old performances and getting all of those things into a central place that I can begin to focus on um, is as much one-on-one -on -one connection with the, the group of people that I feel like are truly supportive of me. I don't need, I, I've, 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 you know, played in front of, thousands of people i've i've uh, been fortunate enough to be on television in front of 14 million people a week um i don't really need it to to check any more of those boxes what's what's more important to me is really beginning to as my career arc is um right now uh just kind of in this stable space to look back and get those things together and give them to the, the fans that, that do support me and, and do love me and care about me and hopefully encourage other people who weren't a part of that journey to begin with, they'll be able to relive it with me as we kind of go back through the history of my, you know, how I got here, right? 
And so that'll be what I'm doing with my music um, primarily. And then I'm really going to continue to focus on um, doing more acting, maybe even uh, kind of trying my hand at writing um, some uh, TV uh, at, at some point. And um, I think I'll continue to do some of the advocacy work, but, you know, Pat, who's the executive director at Austin, Texas Musicians, is doing a great job. Our musicians at Bosbury panelists are doing a great job. That has always been the plan would be for that to start and for musician genera generations of musicians to come to be able to come into that organization and run it because it should be the musicians helping musicians. That's, uh, you know, as a person in recovery, I'm a big fan of one addict helping another and i think that's very true with with our community you know nobody can advocate better for musicians than musicians can nobody can say the things that we need to say better than we can because we're the ones who are out here doing it um i think for the community for austin um you know the cynical part of me you know thinks that we're we're, we've been pretty far gone from what Austin, um, the Austin that, that most folks know and love for a while. There's still pieces of it, but I think this pandemic really exposed the fact that our entire music ecosystem, the entire whole thing, this the live music capital of the world, is really built on a bunch of fucking matchsticks. And it only takes one for it to go up and then everything burns to the ground under it and it's if if austin is to come out of this um nothing the anything we do from this point forward can't be the way we did it before um the way that we artists work with venues can't be the same the way that venues work with touring artists won't be the same it shouldn't be the same um and and, and I, I really believe in the power of the artist you know, there's many times that I've said this throughout the course of this and even before, which is there's very few things in the world that are more powerful than the word no. And sometimes the way to get what we need and what we desire is by just saying, you know what, I'm not going to do that. And I tell people all the time, don't play free shows, you know, don't play unsafe shows, um, you know, I get it. There should be a, a space for, for young bands to go and test out things. There should be, there still are or was lots of great spaces to do open mics for solo artists and things like that. But um, if you're playing a club, you, yes, the booze is what's making them their money, but you are the product and you should be, you know, being paid for that and, and, and being paid fairly. And so part of what Austin, Texas musicians, uh, musicians advisory panelists are working on now is fair pay and really making sure that, that the venues and the artists um, are getting along in a, in a new way that's more equitable. I don't know what, you know, South by's not made any moves about 2021. And that's a huge indicator to me that it's going to be, an even rougher 2021. And so to me, when I hear people say, oh, well, live music really won't be back until the fall of 21, 2021, that may be true for the rest of the, the world, but you know, so much of Austin's music ecosystem depends on those three weeks of South by Southwest to keep 
venues afloat to keep uh, music businesses and, uh, and production businesses afloat. And so um, something big is going to have to change. Mm. And I think you're going to see um, way more outdoor venues and, and that can be socially distanced. Um, uh, and, and, and a lot of these smaller clubs are going to go away because people just won't feel comfortable until there's a vaccine um, being in closed spaces like that. So I don't think it's going to get better uh, before it gets worse. I think it, we're going we're gonna to see even more venues close. I think we're going to see even more musicians leave Austin. Um, and it's, it's going to be really, really hard to, to, be, to be a part of that and 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 see it happen but um i do think we can weather the storm i know that we're um resourceful enough and that we have it in us to do this um but man it's it's going to be work it's going to be a lot of hard work and um it's going to take as many of us that can can join the fight as possible so if you're watching this and you're a professional musician and and you are not a part of ATXM Pro, which is our professional musicians organization. Um, you know, head over to atxmusicians.org and, and fill out the application and join us. Um, we'd love to have you. And uh, you know, it's gonna take it's gonna take all of us. Very cool, man. Well said, well spoken. I'm sure I could could, could ask you a dozen more questions, but I know you got to go and maybe we can get, get this going another time. But uh, yeah, man, I'm always happy to talk to you, Sam. I really appreciate your time. Nike, uh, Nikki, excuse me. And uh, I wish you the best. And, uh, <laughs> and I hope we can see it through. I think it is going to be a, it's going to be a long haul for sure. There's no doubt about it. Um, but at least we can pick up our instruments and, and get a little of that bad juju out. So I hope so. All right. Good luck to you. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Okay.